All the best murders are in Minnesota. Thanks for joining the Escape With Me book club. Escape With Me, Lizzie Sawyer. And me, Sam Reiner. Into our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We're going to be covering it from beginning to end, cover to cover, so remember, there will be spoilers. Today we are going to Lake Eden, Minnesota. Published in April 2000, Chocolate Chip Cookie Murder is the first book in the long-standing Hannah Swinson mystery book series, now comprising of 27 novels, with more on the way. This book series has cemented Joanne Fluke as the queen of dessert murder mystery. Seen as a pillar in the cozy mystery genre, everything began when Hannah Swinson finds her milkman murdered in the alleyway next to her cookie shop. But does this series starter hold up 21 years later? Let's find out. So I picked this series. I've been reading a ton of them in the past five years. The first time I've read the series was five years ago, not in 2000s. But full disclosure, I have an intense love-hate relationship with these books that has culminated after reading 20 plus of them. And so a lot of things I saw the first time I read through them, I view them differently the second read through after dealing with Hannah for 20 books. So I'm going to try to curb my bias as much as possible to look at this book as it stands by itself as the first book in the series and pretend like all the other books haven't happened yet, but some of that definitely might slip through. This is an adult genre book, but it's cozy. There's gory moments that are kind of glossed over, and there are sexual themes, but it's kind of kept to a hint-hint, nudge-nudge kind of thing, and it focuses a lot more on the town. 50-50 with the people of the town and the actual mystery, cutting down a lot on the suspense. I can't particularly think, except for the ending, I can't really think of any moment in the book that I would potentially call suspenseful. Is the ending really suspenseful? Just the very, very, very end with the culprit reveal. Maybe you can consider that suspenseful? Maybe. Most of that, I was like, you moron, you (laughs) idiot. What are you doing? What is wrong with you? Why have you decided to do this? Why why has it been that you can put two and two together throughout the entire course of the book, but at the end, you've decided that, oh, my brain's just kind of walked out the door and, you know, I didn't really follow it. See, that's what happens when you flip a U-turn like five times in a row. You get dizzy. Indecision. You don't flip U-turns five times in a row? You don't go around the roundabout five times just because you can? (laughs) Actually, it is illegal to go around the roundabout more than three times. You don't go around a roundabout five times just to break the law? (laughs) So to judge a book by its cover, remembering from five years ago, I don't know. It had cookies and murder on it. And you were like, ah, that's a cozy mystery if ever I've seen one. At the time, I was looking for a new mystery series because I'd read through most of the Cat Who books and I wanted something a little cozier than Agatha Christie and I saw that and I mean it had cookies and murder on it and so I figured it would have cookies and murder. And it didn't let you down. It did not let me down. It has plenty of cookies and plenty of murder. So much murder. Did you have any other thoughts besides cookies and murder? Yeah I mean you showed me this book years ago as in a you should read this book. And I was like, okay. And then didn't. And then a couple years later, you were like, you should read this book. And I was like, okay. And then didn't. And now we have a podcast where we read books. And you were like, we're going to read this book for the podcast. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then read it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I get the ha 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 right back at you because I got you to read Graveyard Book. So. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Louisiana Longshot. No, that one's more recent. That one's much more recent. <laughs> 
But I loved the graveyard book. The graveyard book was good, yeah. I'm not expecting you to love these books. I did not like this book. This one, as a standalone, if it was by itself, was enjoyable. <laughs> I'll give it that. Yeah, honestly, I will also say with my bias, the first two books are solid. I stand behind them as mysteries. I promise Louisiana Longshot gets better the deeper we get in. And then you get too deep and you're like, it's just shenanigans and I'm only here for the old ladies. <laughs> We're on book like 17 and I'm like, I'm just here for the old ladies at this point. <laughs> That's kind of the opposite of my experience with these books, because at some point I just get fed up with Hannah and I'm like, I hate you, but I'm here for the murder. Yeah, but the old ladies aren't necessarily the main character. That is true. They're the sub main characters that pop up out of nowhere and are like, do you have a gun? No? Good, because I do. That is true. I do fall in love with literally every character that isn't Hannah or Hannah repeats, but we'll get to that later. That's other books. That's not this book. This book is solid. I'll stand by this book. I need to try to make some of the cookie recipes. I have made... I think it's from this book. Does this book have the double chocolate cookies? I don't remember. No, I think that's the third book. Okay, so I've made the double chocolate cookies. And then I basically typed up all the recipes for my mother-in-law. And now she's making some of them. So I am semi-excited for that. Because they do look good. And from what I remember from the double fudge chocolate cookies. Those were really, really good. That's half of the appeal of the book anyways. You may not be able to write a main character, but can you make a good cookie? That's part of me that's wondering is like she really wanted to write a cookbook her entire life, but everyone's like, nah, cozy mysteries are the thing. I want to write a cookbook, but I also want to write a mystery. Do both. It does remind me of Peggy Earhart, where I'm like, I feel like you just wanted to knit and tell everybody about knitting, and then you just wrote a murder mystery on top of that. That's kind of how I feel about this. You know, Real Men Knit also kind of felt like that. I want to write a romance, but I really just want to write about knitting. <laughs> so she did both. Yeah, that is definitely the feel for this. I wanted to write about murder, but I also wanted to write about baking. <laughs> I did both. The author did used to live in small town Minnesota. So there we go. Small town Minnesota is a fun place to live if you're in college and small town college down Minnesota, because then all of your friends live two blocks from you and you can just walk there, which is great for drinking parties, because when you're drunk, all you have to do is walk home. But that is not true of Lake Eden, where if you go, there's a very likelihood you will be murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Although Lake Eden isn't that small. The more you learn about it, the more and more places. I'm like, this feels like suburbia, not small town. Well, I mean, it depended on where you were. A lot of it was I could walk from my house to your house apartment fairly easily. And then the other half of it was you live past the Walmart and I have to drive 15 minutes to get there. <laughs> That's true. It's sort of small town. It's not small town. Like you stand on one side of the town, you look down the street and you can see the entire town. We're not talking about Kansas small town. We're talking about Minnesota small town. But yeah, so to start off with, I will make the not super bold statement because everyone agrees. While this author can definitely write recipes and baking scenes, she cannot write children. There's children in this book? Oh, there's a child in this book. <laughs> I yeah, Tracy sounds like a 12 year old. Yeah. But she's supposed to be like four. Yeah. Or three. Like I said, I'm trying to wave away the bias, but I will say in the next book, there's one moment where they're like, hi, sweetie. And asked him a question. And one time they're like, what does your dad do? And she's like, he is a homicide detective. He does da 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 da. I don't care how smart your four-year-old is. If she's walking around saying, my father is a homicide detective. She's a genius. There's 
no what is happening you know i mean it depends on how many times you said homicide detective in front of said four-year-old because if you say it enough times they can repeat it back at you well considering i'm trying to remember this book takes place in october and then the next book takes place in february and he just became a detective in late october daddy's a homicide detective can you say homicide detective (laughs) say it with me Homicide detective. (laughs) Yeah, and it's framed like, oh, out of the mouths of babes, but come on. Now in Spanish. (laughs) And then in the novella in the back of the book, which we didn't actually do, it's revealed that she doesn't know what fractions are. Like someone says fractions to her and she gets confused. I was like, yeah, you know, like four year olds. (laughs) It's just that's the only time in the entire book where I'm like, okay, cool. You know what age group you're actually writing about. But yeah, Tracy is... The smartest four-year-old I've ever read about. Oh my gosh. It's oof. Anyway, I'll give her a pass because at least she's wholesome. She's very wholesome. I don't know where she gets her smart genes, though. As awesome as age- She gets it from the homicide detective. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Bill's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but now he's a homicide detective. <laughs> He needs his sister-in-law to solve the murder because a homicide detective with training and supposedly smart enough to pass the test can't figure it out, doesn't know how to talk to people, I guess. So he needs the person without tact to go around raising suspicion. Yeah, some of the conversations she had, I was like, yeah, I would have that conversation like that too. (laughs) I also have no tact. Saying she doesn't have tact feels like an excuse at some point. She's just rude. It's like the point you made, which I disagreed with in Louisiana Longshot, where they were like, yeah, she's a CIA agent. She's a CIA agent. She's a CIA agent. It's a similar point. Yeah, they keep being like, Hannah, you have no tact. 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 At some point, we just have to admit, Hannah, you're a terrible person. The first thing we're introduced with her and Andrea, her sister, and she's like, I've said nothing about Bill being good at anything, but he's such a great husband and father. But Andrea, she has aspirations outside of the home. She's just terrible at everything. I need to talk to her. As a single, childless woman, I need to tell her what her business is. That being said, Andrea definitely did have a character arc that legitimately was, I don't know how I feel about being a mom to... Being a mom is okay, but outside of Hannah's thought processes, she's like that. Yeah! Her character arc is the character arc that the sister in Big Sky Secrets was supposed to have. Yeah. And didn't. Oh my gosh, yes. I actually adore Andrea. Oh no, yeah, she's great. And that's the thing. I don't understand why she's so mean to Andrea. I don't get it. Because that's the first interaction we have with her. Hey, Sister Dearest, do you remember when you beat me up back in third grade years and years and years ago? I still hate you for that. (laughs) And I do like at the end of the book, it kind of feels like, hey, maybe we can work together. Maybe we don't have to have this open hostility toward each other. I mean, Andrea never really seemed to be openly hostile. Hannah was just like, yeah, I hate you, (laughs) by the way. 
you suck. And that is the one thing I do like about Andrea's arc is it's totally valid. She's like, I am not meant to be a mom and stay at home and do nothing. Even though Bill is like, hey, I'm going to get this job so you can stay at home. And she's like, I'm going to push my child away further because I feel like I don't want that to be in my existence. And then at the end where Bill gets the job and she can still keep her job and she's like, okay, I can fill out this mom thing. I like my child. She has such a good arc. Yeah, she went from feeling trapped to not feeling trapped. And then she can accept the feelings and be like, okay, I can be a mom. I can see this. Honestly, really, she just needed to talk to Bill and be like, yo, so I can't be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, this is not the destiny I'm having. Communication is key, my friends, to any good relationship. For real. But yeah, I love that. Bill does nothing. He's the best at everything. Good job, Bill. But Andrea, evil woman. So reading it through the second time, I feel like Hannah has a lot more Dolores in her than she realizes. Is her mother's name Dolores? Yes. Okay. I was in a different book for a second. (laughs) But she is very judgmental of people. And then she's always wanting to correct them and tell them about their business. And that's the exact same thing Hannah hates about her mom. And then ply them with cookies. (laughs) Hi, I'm rude, but I brought cookies. So you can forgive me, right? Day old cookies. It's all good. Yeah, but they still good. Did they still good cookies? That's the secret reason everyone actually puts up with her in town. They don't want to make her mad and get banned from the cookie store. Oh, yay. Hannah's here. Did you bring cookies? Right? I will say, though, I'm a little proud of her in the business sense to be like, these cookies are trash. I should make your cookies. And she should. I mean, it went well. It worked out. I do this for a living and these are not great. I will send you sample cookies and we can talk because mine are way better. I will give her props on that. Good. Go get it, girl. You may be rude and not tactful, but they only have to work with you in a business sense and not in a personal sense. And you are the best at cookies here, clearly. Clearly. So that works out. I am the main character and I bake, so obviously I must be the best. On a side note, kind of looping back around talking about the author... You can tell the author really likes Regency romance, mainly because in 2000s, she dedicated an entire club to it, and then later on, she writes stuff, and she has these little blurbs of information about Regency England. And the teapot, yeah. And not huge spoiler, but guess what? Dolores eventually starts an antique store where she talks about antiques a lot. I wonder what this author's hobbies are. I wanted to write a book about murder, baking, and antiques. And Regency England. Why wasn't your main character a little old woman? Oh my goodness. It would be 10 times better if this was a little old woman. No, you have no idea how much I want to petition to make Dolores the main character. There's a book, um, like book 12 or 13 or something, where Dolores starts the book. And I was convinced that it was going to be all Dolores' book and I was so for it. It didn't turn out to be that way, but... I am now convinced Dolores needs to be the main character. We need a spinoff series. She's a rich widow who is secretly hilarious because of all her biases. And she's good at talking to people. It's just, it would be so great. I'm for this. And just like that, we haven't even talked about the mystery yet because the town stuff is pretty trademark. Yeah, the mystery is man in a milk truck goes to deliver milk and then gets shot in a back alley behind the bakery. And the only witness, not really a witness, but kind of witness, is Hannah's four-year-old niece. 
who heard the gunshot. Whose daddy is a homicide detective. Who is not in any way traumatized by finding out that she heard a gunshot that killed somebody that she knows personally. She's four. She doesn't understand death. She knows what a homicide detective does, but death, (laughs) that's not traumatizing at all. Please, if you can say the word homicide, death is clearly not traumatic. That is the rules. We don't make it up. We just have to abide by them. Look, I didn't make the rules. I just work here. (laughs) I just criticize them. (laughs) Yeah, I just work here. (laughs) Is that not what that means? Following all of that, it kind of becomes a wild goose chase about something else. I kind of enjoyed the wild goose chase, but instead of it focusing on murder, murder, it does, once again, small town politics, but that's okay. We've got all of your basic small town stuff, you know, the dentist that knocks people out and takes their shirts off so he can take nude photos of them for himself, the woman whose husband is a gym teacher who secretly beats her, the whole nine yards, basic small town stuff that every small town has. I know I have dentists that I avoid at all costs. It is kind of amazing. But honestly, I'm kind of impressed going back through this book compared to all the other books later on. This is definitely the most adult book of the series of all the sordid things that happen. This this happens in your average small town, right? Yeah. Right? No. I'd be concerned if it did, which frankly I'm concerned about Lake Eden needing full-time homicide detectives. I could see it happening in like sinful Louisiana because <laughs> that place is nuts. <laughs> Minnesota. It's too cold to murder. This is Minnesota. Everybody up there is way too nice. They're all Scandinavian. I worked at a Joann's on a Black Friday. All the little old women, they get mad at you for cutting their fabric wrong, but they'd still say please and thank you. You're like, no, sweetheart, I need you to do that again. But yeah, so we go on a wild goose taste on that, and eventually it comes back to actual murder plot. Murder. Murder. Yeah, so once you get over the fact that Bill is a licensed detective who can't figure out how to solve a murder, and... He's a homicide detective. And he's not yet. He's still just a police officer at this point. And the fact that Hannah's somehow found all of these sordid details out on her, like, second day of detectiving, it feels like... And this book takes place over like three or four days. No. I swear it is not that long. So we get into it and then at some point Andrea and Hannah are tag teaming. They team up. They're like, yeah, let's work together. And it leads to one of my favorite scenes of the entire book. After the party, they decide to break into the place that the murder victim worked because they're suspicious that the owner of the place is being really shifty and kind of like a loan shark. And so they're going to break in and see if they can find anything. Because, I mean, he is really shifty and being a loan shark. Yeah. The owner has also gone missing. So it's very sus. So my favorite moment of the entire book. Hannah and Adrian go home after a party and decide to break in. Hannah forces both of them to wear black clothing so that they won't be seen. Hannah then insists they take her cherry red (laughs) vanity license plate as a logo of her business on the side door truck to do this. Yeah. And she had to park under a light. I'm just like, why are you wearing black clothes to sneak through this house and place when you're drunk and just gonna put you on 
blast. They're like, no, we can't take Andrea's Volvo. We have to take my truck. Hey, isn't that Hannah's truck? Specifically Hannah's? Isn't she the only one that drives the cherry red car with her logo printed on the side? Yeah. Do you think we should call the cops about this? No, it's just Hannah. I'm sure if we find her, she has cookies. No, do you want to be banished from the cookie place? Don't speak of such things. The cookies are sacred. (laughs) But for real, you get in later on the books, everyone in this town loves Hannah. And I'm like, this is only for your cookies. You bribe them to like you. Money may not be able to make you friends, but cookies sure as (laughs) can. But yeah, that's my favorite moment of the book. Because Andrew's like, why are we doing this? It's like, oh, because we're sneaking in. You wouldn't wear your party outfit. Now, let's go ride in my truck. Is that a security light? Yeah, let's park under that. That's safer. No, to some extent, I kind of agree. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily sneak into somewhere in my party clothes. Rather pants for that. I guess in theory, if I'm going to put on pants, I might as well put on black pants. (laughs) But why would you park under a light? I get it. It's dark and scary. However, with your truck, you're breaking and injuring. You're literally committing a crime that could cause your brother-in-law to look very suspicious to the point where you're like, Andrea, you shouldn't come. This would be bad for Bill. You're gonna get a homicide detective in trouble. And the first thing they're gonna ask is like, why did you do this? And you can't be like, well, Bill asked me to keep an ear out. So because he asked me to keep an ear out, I have now decided to take over this investigation because clearly I think he's incompetent. I just can't wait. (laughs) I have to know. It's like, I know you said to keep an ear out, but I figure it not, you know, I wouldn't just keep my ear out. I'd also keep my eyes and my hands and the whole rest of my body in the complete situation. Why just an ear? Keeping an ear out, committing, breaking an entry, like the same thing, same playing field here. You just said committing a breaking and entering. Of a home and a business. Yeah, gotta do both. Go, go big or go home. It's like the people that passed me on the road today. I was going 50 and at 35 maybe. And they had to go around me because, you know, if you're going to break the law, you know, go big, go home. And there's also that point at one point where it's like, I have this information from Danielle that I must relay to the police, but I can't tell it what it is. So Bill, here's all the information. I'm not going to give you the source so you could interview them and actually put their statement into evidence. But trust me. And because I did this, you can't actually use it. I know. Hannah, what is he supposed to tell the judge? Oh, yeah. So I know someone who knows someone and swears it's a valuable source that this totally happened. But I can't tell you. No, no, no. They just got to go in and be like, Hannah told me. And they'll be like, oh, oh, Hannah told you? She's the cookie lady, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Cookie lady. Cookie lady knows. I got to believe the cookie lady or I don't get no more cookies. (laughs) I can't be banned from the cookies, man. Literally everyone's coming in for breakfast cookies and lunch cookies. Sugar is addictive. I'm a little worried about the healthiness of this town. What do you add in with that sugar in those cookies, huh? The obesity rate of that town. Are we suddenly in Pawnee with Sweetums? I am a little concerned. Okay, I could get... I've had some peanut butter cookies laying around and in the morning woke up and thought, you know what sounds good? Cheesecake. Peanut butter cookies. But never have I been like, you know what I want for lunch? Cookies. Because it's not even like, oh, they get it for dessert on their lunch. No, it's specifically lunch cookies. They have a lunch rush. These people are not waiting in line for food and then waiting in line for cookies. They're just going for the cookies. (laughs) They don't have that much time on their break. It's like bagel bites. The cookies. Man, someone wrote a review 
about how the books always make them hungry. I feel like this podcast is making me hungry. It's only making me hungry because we're no longer talking about cookies and we're now talking about pizza bagels. Pico bagels are so good. That's an actual lunch. I feel like nowhere else. I understand how the only a cookie and coffee shop is staying open if this is all these people eat. Gotta get those cookies. But at the same time, Hannah has so many left over. Gotta, gotta get those cookies. Does she just have bags and bags at her disposal to give to people? Yeah, she's gotta have all those extra cookies for bribing people to do what she wants. Want a discount on that dress? Give her back a cookies. <laughs> Don't want to have to pay your parking ticket? Bag of cookies! Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't want to get in trouble for breaking and entering? Bag of cookies. I hope you didn't get attached to Hannah thinking that dress looks good on her because it doesn't exist after this book. Oh, good. She goes back to nothing makes me look good. Who doesn't love an insanely insecure... Main character? 30-year-old. Mmm, yeah. Her mother. They don't have an arc in this book. Dolores is just kind of annoyance throughout this entire book. But not really. She's just always calling her and Hannah never picks up. That's kind of the basis of Dolores here. I think she has one or two conversations with her. Yup. And the rest is just... Ugh, my mother called to walk away. Ugh, my mother. Who is trying to set her up with Norman, the dentist. Ugh, my mother. Whose mother's trying to set Norman up with her. Mary Mac's mother's trying making Mary Mac marry me. My <laughs> mother's making me marry Mary Mac. For some reason, we have to have this weird arc with Norman where he only talks about dentistry at the dinner. And then for the rest of the book, he doesn't bring it. Up? Yeah. How does that start as a personality trait? He's not socially awkward. He's really nice and talkative and can hold really good conversations. Why did he think talking about dentistry? Because it's his passion. People's teeth. He wants to speak about his passion, but only that one time. But only that one time. Only that one time. After that, he's cool. He's funny. He's chill. After that, we're done. Can't talk about teeth no more. So Norman, he's not a non-entity in the book, but he's not as in the book as he will be later. I still think Norman's a pretty cool guy. I talk to him. I get that in the book. You don't like him. That's fine. But he's a pretty cool guy. I can't hate on him. He takes the news about his dad really well. Did they ever actually tell him? I thought they specifically didn't. For some reason, my brain was telling me that they told him. They just didn't tell his mom. Maybe they just destroyed the file. I don't think they told him. Okay. I think they just destroyed the file. Good. <laughs> For real. But I don't necessarily like that plot point, only because all they use it for is a chapter cliffhanger, and they resolve the issue the next chapter. Oh, is this plot point relatively pointless? Yes. Yes, it is. What do you think about this? And then it's a recipe. Like, you turn the page. It's like, what do you think about this? And it's a recipe. You're like, oh, I guess this is about cookies now. And then you turn the next page. And then it tells you what it is. And then almost immediately, Hannah finds something that implicates her, the father, because this random third grade teacher she had always wore the same necklace. But she moved away five years ago. If that isn't proof. Yeah, for real. Only one person in the entire world could possibly have that necklace. It's like how I wear a cross all the time. It'd be like being like, oh yeah, Lizzie's the only one ever to ever wear a cross like that all the time. Yeah, that's honestly how I imagined it. I always saw it like as a little cross or something. It was like, nope, that third grade teacher, only her. She's the only one that's got a heart that says DF on it. So not only does a small town population manage to boister a cookie shop that 
funds two people. Well, yeah, everybody got to get Jimmy cookies. It also supports a high-end boutique that supports at least one person. It's one of those small Minnesota towns that all of the rich people that vacation in Florida live during the summer. They all live there. In that one small town, they're all doctors and lawyers. Yes. I definitely did not just go through three different accents saying that one sentence. <laughs> but I like Claire. Claire's cool. Also, that's just another town thing. Like, that has nothing to do with the mystery. She just gets Hannah to buy a nice dress at cost and also some nice shoes. And then also Lisa gets stuff. Yay. Cute girl time. Woo. It's the shopping episode in a D&D campaign. Oh, my God. Oh, it's the shopping montage every 90s girl power movie had to have, like, mandatory. That just seeped over into the 2000s, into this book. It's the shopping montage that every boy spy movie has. (laughs) I'm not wrong. Oh my goodness. So, there's kind of a plot twist in the mystery. And it's like, ha 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 ha, you thought Ron was the intended victim? No, no, no. Max Turner, the owner of the place he works, was the victim all along. Bum, bum, bum. It was Max Turner all along. But because it's Max Turner, that also brings up the plot point. I don't understand why Max Turner took the person into their secret vault area slash they left the murderer in their office to go to the secret vault area and left a pathway for the murderer to follow them. It wasn't secret, though. It was just in the old dairy. I don't think it was secret. It was, but there was no reason for him to go to his vault. Well, from the ending, it sounded kind of like he was like showing the money. And so she showed him the money and he's like, okay, cool. Let me go get the paperwork. Except he doesn't give the contracts back. He keeps them. She could have asked for it back for one thing or another, or maybe he had to sign something off in like a, yes, this was paid perspective like you would do for accounting. Except this was secret stuff. I don't know. It didn't make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, he would probably keep the accounting books with the secret files. Yeah. And so that's just the one thing. I think it would have made more sense to find him in his office, but I don't know. He went to the vault for no reason whatsoever, and then the murderer followed him, and so that's where they found him. I guess that's a more interesting place to find him, but... Well, it had to be a surprise. The vault had to be open. How are we supposed to look through the files in the vault to be able to pull Norman's family's file out without anybody knowing without the vault open? Yeah, exactly. Hannah makes the executive decision to tamper with a crime scene. Here, let me tamper with evidence. Breaking and entering, go big or go home, might as well also tamper with the evidence. How amazing would it have been if Norman was the murderer? I thought about that when she gave the file back. She was like, here, and I was like, what if he's the murderer, Hannah? You're so smart. That was why he was boring her the first night, so she wouldn't think about him. Oh, the boring dentist couldn't possibly be the murderer, and he gave you this whole sob story, so you would take it. And it said paid, but he stamped it with paid when he murdered what's his face? Wow, Hannah, you're so smart. It was just an extra alibi. Because he knew if he took it that someone could have found out about it. And but if Hannah stole it, it's a little extra. It is extremely extra. But as somebody who loves extra, how cool would that have been? Would have been great. But no, Hannah can't possibly be wrong. She's our main character. Yes. Hannah wrong. Never. And then 
stupid Mike shows up at the end. Do you think, Mike? And that's totally my bias slipping in. Mike is fine in this. He's whatever. He's the hot new guy. He has a tragic past. But Mike shows up and that's supposed to be this time limit. Like, oh, we better solve the case before Mike shows up and realizes that Bill's an idiot requiring his sister-in-law, the civilian, to solve his murders. Yep. Like, let's be honest. What does Bill do in this book? Lurks with a cosmetic lady. I think he has one time where she calls him and he's like, oh, I checked on this. And she solved the rest of it. Honestly, though, if she hadn't been held up at the end by the murderer who then decides to confess, none of her evidence would be admissible in court. They would have no case. So once again, villain foils their own plot because they want to monologue. Gotta keep them talking, man. She walks outside and she's like, and I breathed in air for what I thought I wouldn't breathe again for the rest of my life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You would have breathed the outside air again. Her plan was to walk you outside to your car and then shoot you in your car. You would have had one last breath of outside air. At least one. Don't be so dramatic, Hannah. Don't be so dramatic. You would have died in your car. It's fine. You would have had plenty of opportunity to run away or bat the gun away or I don't know, something. Probably not. I wouldn't run away with no guns being held behind you. Depends on depends on what's going on. But what saves her is... Oh, by the way, this teapot is actually fake. The teapot! That's so fancy! And she's like, well, it's time to shoot you because you could take away my entire plot, bringing shame upon my family and bringing me to jail. What do you mean my teapot's fake? Most of her monologue was, I couldn't bear to lose this house, so I had to kill him because my house. Oh my goodness. Honey, build another house. Is it gonna be fine, honestly? But yeah, random antique fact for the win. Be careful with the teapot, it is actually real. (laughs) This book, this book series. I think that's one of the reasons I'm still reading it in my love hate relationship. It's ridiculous. There's so many things where you just stop and go, wait a minute. And this is why I'm forcing more people to read it so I can laugh with them. Like, you need to experience this with me. There's a lot of town stuff, but I do think the mystery is pretty solid. Except for the ending when it gets a little bit ridiculous, but I didn't see it coming. I did not predict the wife of the dude was the one who was like, yeah, I need to go murder him. Then again, I didn't really think the son did either, necessarily. I thought that was a little bit of a reach. But one thing I do kind of like about her investigating the case, I do feel like anytime she comes across a dead end or a red herring, it's logical and not just being stupid and following a obviously false lead like some books tend to lean on, where they just make their detective stupid and then they go do this thing that wastes pages. Like, it actually feels like stuff comes of it. You do learn about some pretty sordid secrets. I mean, the whole point of reading Cozy Mysteries is you're nosy. I feel like that's the personality type I have and a lot of people have with Cozy Mysteries. You want to know what those innocent, nice-loving people are hiding. Ha <laughs> You may seem all nice and good, but you have secrets. And it cures that itch to just know all the sordid tales have made very bold. 
What are your general thoughts about the book? It's a decent mystery. Hannah's not the worst person I've ever met yet, or so I've heard. And the other characters in the book are a lot of fun to read through. Also, that man beats his wife and needs to be taught a lesson. That is definitely one thing. I got to the end of that book. I immediately went out and bought the second book. And I was like, they better address this right now. They do. Okay. It does get addressed. I will say that. As soon as it was like, yeah, she wears very heavy makeup. She went to the bathroom. She was very worried about her husband wondering where she was. And I was like, he beats his wife. Immediately, I was like, he beats his wife. Calling it now. He beats his wife. I actually do think they set up that dynamic pretty well. They handled the top really well. Because it also tackles her mindset of why she stays with him and why she doesn't want to report him. And then also the family being like, oh, Boyd's so amazing. And nobody realizing what's actually happening. I think it actually handles that situation pretty well and realistically, which is frustrating because domestic abuse is terrible. But she actually does a pretty good job. And it's mentally scarring. Leaving relationship like that is hard. They've been mentally trained that this is acceptable. Yeah, all abuse victims start with mental abuse and emotional abuse and gaslighting and then it just devolves into terribleness and by that point they're so mentally scarred that it's just bad and then of course societal pressures for women being you have to be the happy wife and then for men being like you can't be abused by your wife do you know what the rule of thumb actually means like origin yeah the rule of thumb was you can beat your wife as long as you beat with something smaller than your thumb weirdly relevant that's why i brought it up so yeah that's not right and of course the other frustrating thing about domestic abuse is it's more than physical abuse it's mental abuse, it's emotional abuse, it's financial abuse. It's frustrating and dumb and covers every faucet of your life. And I do think she handles it pretty well. A lot of other stuff she does not handle well, but she does handle sensitive topics like that pretty well. That's good. It's important. If you're going to handle anything in your book well, if you're going to bring up topics like that, it's important that you handle them carefully. Yeah, so I'm actually yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. Because Hannah does play the, well, just leave them. And Danielle is, of course, being like, I can't, because she has a lot of other stuff going on, and history, and sunk cost fallacy, and all of that. And I think it does pretty good. Hannah's actually a pretty decent friend to Danielle, so plus one to her negative ten. One question for the author. I'm kind of curious who comes up with all of her recipes. Dude, I was going to say the same thing. I know in later books, I actually know a woman who they were at the contest thingy, and they were like, send in your recipes. And she sent in a recipe, and it actually got used for a book, and they kind of credit her. And they're like, my friend such and such gave me this recipe. And I know that woman, so I'll point that out when that comes up in a future book. But these first ones, and especially later on, when we get to like the fifth book, don't you run out of cookie recipes personally? Are you using friends' recipes? Have you created all of them yourself? Are these family recipes? There's so many ways she could have come in contact with these recipes. And I'm curious. I and mean, granted, she started writing these in her 50s. So she had a lot of time to come up with these recipes. Yeah, she is 78 years old. That explains a lot. <laughs> oh, oh, that hit another string that is not relevant in this book because the book was written in 2000. But we'll get there. There are some other things where it's like, oh, you are a person of an older age writing someone of a much younger age and I can do. Anyway, so she was... 57 when this book was published. So she had plenty of time to come up with recipes. So maybe she has. Maybe she did create all of these recipes until the point where it's like, hey, send in your recipes ideas. But who knows? Maybe the fifth one also the publisher was licensing other people to come up with recipes as well. I don't know. I'm curious. I want to know the things about the recipes. I want to know. That song comes up way too much in our podcast. <laughs> 
Yes, it does. I want to know. And they never show me. I guess I stole both of their questions. Ha 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 ha! I win. Rating. I always look back on these books with more positivity than I feel. Because I always write down my rating after I've read the book. And then by the time we record, it's usually much later. But rating, I gave it. I'll stay true to my feelings. Was awkward social event with the best food. Where you go and you're like, hmm, but the food's really good. So I have to go. That's kind of how I feel about some of the things with Hannah. And I guess it's probably a lot of my bias slipping in. Hannah drives me nuts and she's the main character. So we're always with her. But the mystery is usually pretty good. And that's what I'm feeding off of. My rating is when you're making cookies and you've got the dough made and then you're too tired slash lazy to bake them. So you just eat the dough. But the dough tastes very good. Want to further expound on that? Or? No. <laughs> I made cookie dough and I'm going to eat it. I could bake it and get warm, nice, gooey cookies. However, I don't want to wait that long. <laughs> so I just ate the dough. And that's how you feel there author is or how you are. Oh, how I am. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess how the book is in itself. This book could have been very good, but it's just cookie dough. Which isn't a bad thing. No. But it is what it is. I have a higher chance of getting sick from the egg in the cookie dough than I would if it was baked. But we made it. <laughs> We're here to tell the tale another day to eat more cookie dough. Woo! I love me some cookie dough. <laughs> you can go to the store and you buy the little rip apart squares of cookie dough to make cookies and you end up eating the dough instead. <laughs> That's how it goes at my house. You have to get the dough before everybody else gets the dough or otherwise there's no dough. And there's never any cookies. There is never cookies. There is never any cookies. Would you read this book again? No. Maybe. So this is my second time reading it. And this woman's publishing schedule, I cannot keep up. I swear it's three books a year, it feels like. Every time I go to the bookstore, which is very often when you have an English professor for a husband, I go and I look in that section and there's another one. We lose him in there. Oh my gosh. We're like, all right, James, have... James? James? Oh, he's gone. In college, for one of my professional writing classes, we had to write a how-to guide. And I wrote mine on tips for dating an English major. And what I did for photography is I followed him around a bookstore and took pictures of him anytime he sat down in the middle of an aisle to pull out all of the books off of the bookshelf to look at them. Yeah, as you do. As you do. That's how it's done. <laughs> so that's the person I'm married to. And that's how often I'm in bookstores that he practically has these things memorized. But every time I go over there, there's another one. I can't keep up. I started five years ago and I feel no closer to the end than when I started. I've been here since day one and I still don't have a name. So yeah, this is the second time I'm reading it. I don't... I have other series that I would reread before I would read this one again. But maybe one day there will be an end. Either she will decide to stop writing or nature will very sadly take its course. The only reason that Terry Pratchett stopped writing is because death took him. Honestly, one of the reasons I'm hanging on to it is I feel like it's the only mystery series that I have more than one book in that the author is still alive. This is my claim to fame, guys. She's still alive. She's still writing. I must cling. I mean, if you end up liking the Misfortune series, that author's still alive and writing actively. The nice thing is with this podcast, we've really branched out my reading and I found some authors that I really like who are still around and writing really interesting things. So that is one benefit. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe one day there will be no more books 
to read and I'll be like, you know what sounds good? Cookie dough. Cookie dough, which is extra toxic for me. Yep. Lactose-free cookie dough, just for you. I will make my own cookie dough. I got you a cookbook. There's probably some in there. I do. I have it. I'm probably going to look at it to make a cake for my birthday. I'm excited. Thanks for exploring chocolate chip cookie murder with us. You can keep up to date with us by checking us out on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And you can help support our podcast by checking us out on Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to our bonus episodes, where we look at the movie adaptations to some of your favorite books. This month, we're exploring the simplicity of the post-apocalyptic book for children, City of Ember, and comparing it to its much more convoluted movie adaptation. Join us next time when we'll be reading Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Lizzie Sawyer. And we hope to see you in a front here next time.